Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. So we're going to carry on with the, uh, our series on the practice of lament. Sam's got the slides there. If we can go to the, the first slide then, Sam, that would be great. And we're talking about trust this morning. I'm going to hone right in onto this with the time we've got left this morning on trust, because we need to stay healthy in lament. And trust is the switch point that keeps us healthy in lament. We don't trust God just when we're out of lament, but we learn to trust God in the, the, the storm, as it were, in the moment of lament. And so this morning, that's what we're going to focus on. Lament is not meant to lead us to depression. It's not meant to lead us to despair. It's not meant to lead us into self-pity. And we'll look at our four steps of lament. This is part of that lament that lifts our eyes from the circumstance. It doesn't deny the circumstance. Our faith never denies the circumstance. But it lifts our eyes from the circumstance to the one that we worship. His name is Jesus and he's the one that we can trust in, and we're going to focus in on that. Uh, before we do, Sam, we'll have the next slide. On a Sunday morning, we can go through much teaching, much preaching, share much things with you, but it barely scratches the surface often of a subject. And I want to recommend this book by Timothy Keller. It's called Work it, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. I came across this book in 2013, when I was beginning to experience the headwinds of adversity. Um, I haven't got time to go into that now, but headwinds of adversity. And I read this book, I thought it was absolutely amazing, and it prepared me for the several storms that were going to come over the next five years. And this was part of God's grace to my life. And uh, for a couple of coffee, cups of coffee, you can get this from Amazon, if you're on Kindle, you can get it even probably for one cup of coffee. Um, but I do commend this to you uh, as a book that will strengthen you and teach you and walk you with Jesus through suffering and through pain. Hallelujah. So let's have the next slide. Brilliant. Let's remember what we're doing here. Lament is a cycle. It's a cycle where we choose to turn to God. It's where we bring our heart-wrenching complaints to him. And it's where also we ask God for outcomes that at this moment in time we can't see, but we ask boldly, and then into that we choose to trust him. We choose to trust him. And it is a cycle. It's not, a play. It's not that for 20 years we stay at point number two, just bring in my complaint. But it can be a daily cycle when I'm in pain, when I'm in trouble, when I'm in difficulty, where, yes, I turn to God daily, I bring my complaint to him, but into that I ask boldly, and then I choose to trust. And we go over and over that again. In fact, David, who wrote the psalm that we're going to read this morning, wrote many psalms. And if you go to Psalm 32 uh, offline, after this meeting, you will see that in that one psalm, he goes through this cycle at least twice. 
It's quite funny in, the, in, that, in that period. He goes through it. So I want to encourage us this morning that we don't just stay in the place of complaint because that will lead you to despair. And where the purpose of this process is to turn us towards Jesus and to focus on him. So if you have your Bible, if you have it on your tablet, would you please turn to Psalm 13, which is the anchor psalm for uh, what we're doing. Good, I'm glad it's come up bigger than it is on the screen up there. I was thinking crumbs. Let's turn to that. And let's reread this together. Let not the familiarity of this rob you of the truth of what we're going to read. Psalm of David. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. <laughs> my enemy will say, ha, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfading love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Focus on these last two verses. But I will trust in your unfading love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord, for he has been good to me. Historically, we don't know when this psalm was written. Some feel it was at a time when um, David perhaps was seriously ill. Um, we get that from verse 3, that perhaps he was about to die and he's crying out to God. Others say this was in the period of time between being anointed by the prophet Samuel uh, to be king and the period of time thereafter, which had summed up to about 15 years between actually he became king. And in that time, David had been pursued by the king and by the state for his life. And he had fled uh, Jerusalem and that area, and he had gone to live in caves and at times lived with the enemies of Israel because he was so threatened in uh, his life. I don't know if you've ever been pursued. Uh, I don't think I've ever been pursued apart from my brother or my sister when I've done something wrong. I think my mum might have chased me down the garden once or twice. Uh, but uh, I've never been pursued. Can you imagine being pursued for your life? Hiding in caves for 15 years when you carried a promise from God 
that said you're going to be king. I know some in this room, you've carried things in your heart for many, many years. Some of you have been sick for many, many years. Some of you have seen relationships break that you so long to see them restored, but 15, 20, 30 years, and those relationships still remain. And so the how long, oh God, how long is a genuine cry of the heart of man. How long? And yet we start verse 5 with such a pivotal word, but. But. God loves big buts. God loves big buts. And so that's an important change in this psalm. But David's circumstance remains unchanged. Something is going on here that I want to explore with you. There is so much that could be said about this psalm. But I want us to focus on the but this morning. I will trust. I will trust in you. So can we go to the next slide? please. Good, good. I want you to know that this castle is the castle of your heart. We're talking about the heart here. And you will see that there is some waves, some, some storms around this castle that's built upon a rock. And the storms of life are many and diverse, aren't they? They can be very small. If you're a child, the storm of life might be that your favourite cuddly toy got left on the train and you got off, mummy, mummy, and the train has gone. Parents nightmare. What do I do now? And so what do we say? We say, don't worry, dear, I'll get you a new one. In other words, please be quiet, I can't. Suffer your emotions. No, we don't like emotions. We're, some of us in this room are English. We don't like emotion. When my children were growing up and they got angry, my favorite response was, don't be angry, because I was taught anger was wrong. It took me a number of years to find something better to say, which was, sweetheart, why are you angry? Come on, tell me. Oh, Daddy! David's been horrible to me again. Oh, come on. Come on. Tell me. What is that all about? Storms come. You know, Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. Now, we love to quote that. And we often put the full stop there. And we say, oh, Ella, it's all right. In this world, you will have troubles. All that happened last year to you, you will have troubles. But Jesus didn't put a full stop there. And some of us miss out the next bit and think, oh, yeah, what Jesus then went on to say is, but don't worry, I've overcome the world. Which is wonderful. 
but there's a bit in the middle. Who knows what the bit in the middle says? You don't. Take heart. Take heart because I have overcome the world. So life, life can be tough. But you know, as a Christian, we have something else that goes on in our lives when trials and troubles come. We have an enemy who hates us, an enemy who wants to bring you down and rob you of your affection, your love, and your life in Jesus Christ. And so he fires at us these, these, these arrows. And I think in times of trouble and difficulty, there are three things that the enemy would shout at us. And they're interesting that they're all in this psalm. The first one is, does God love you? Ha! If God loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. If God cared for you, you wouldn't know this problem. Does God love you? I didn't know James was going to sing this song, and he didn't know this was on the slide. The next challenge the enemy comes with, is God enough? Is he enough? Is he strong enough? Is he powerful enough? Is he caring enough? Can he get you out of this? Can he save you from this? And then the last one is, can he save you? Oh, sorry. Um, is he good enough? Is God good? I want to say these are not three nice prophetic phrases that's, that David has written in this psalm. They're just not poetic. They are the absolute essential foundations for us to live and prosper when storms and trials come. I don't know if you play that game Yenga, you know, when they build the stack of uh, bricks and you're meant to pull out one and make sure they don't topple over. I want to say, if you pull one of these out, the whole lot comes crashing down. If we don't, are not secure in the love of God, in the unfailing love of God, then we will wobble, we will totter, and we will fall. If I don't know or I'm not certain that God is good, then we will waver and totter. And if we don't believe that God can save me, can be my salvation, Similarly, we will totter and we will fall. And so the ramparts of my heart are protected by his unfailing love, his salvation, and the fact that he is good. And so this morning, I would love to spend ages speaking on those three things. Well, I can't. And you need to go away, please, and seek out and ask God and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the nature of the unfailing, continuous, unaltered, unearned and unmerited love of God for you. I want you to go out and think about how God saves us. There's times when there's utter deliverance. I wanted to tell you loads of stories about when I've prayed and seen God do remarkable things in the moment. We haven't got time. But you know, there's sometimes we pray, and as Pete Gregg says, we ask 
God, parachute me out of this situation. And God says, no, I'm parachuting in. Rachel Turner last year spoke about in times of struggle and strife, we see a facet of God we'd never see if we didn't walk through trials. There's things about Jesus that you can only ever learn, like his presence. His presence is probably the greatest gift that you and I have. I am with you. And of course, sometimes the whole of life goes and we're not seeing God deliver us. But that's the remarkable thing because we know that as a Christian, when we die, we go to be with Jesus. And there's injustices we will never see rectified in this life. But one day when we see Jesus, they will be rectified. And I was reading through Revelations the other day. And you know it says in Revelations that he will wipe away every tear. He didn't say every tear will stop. He says, I will wipe away every tear. It's remarkable, isn't it? Do you know what that says to me? This is what Jesus, can I borrow you, Lucy? Do you mind? This is what God is going to do. He's going to say, Lucy, it's so wonderful to see you in my heaven. Come on, let me wipe away that tear. Let me just get hold of that tear. Let me love you and just personally wipe away that tear. It's going to come. He's going to wipe away. How precious that is. I don't know how many hundreds, thousands of millions there will be in, in, in heaven, but he's going to come. Tenderly wipe away that tear. I can't teach you all that. So let's look at this matter of trust because it's the big but that's in this. So what is trust? The first thing I want to say is trust is not faith. But they are bedfellows with each other. In fact, I would say you can't have faith without trust. And in fact, James put it like this in James chapter 2. He said, you show me your faith, I'll show you my works. Well, hang on. He said, actually, if you haven't got works, you don't have faith. In fact, faith without trust is no more than just a collection of happy thoughts intellectualized about who God might be or what he might not be. You see, faith comes as a gift from God. You, if you love Jesus this morning, you didn't get there by yourself. You didn't read a book and think, oh, this looks a pretty good thing to happen. No, no, you didn't do that. Something of the Holy Spirit came upon you and gave you a gift of faith so you could respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe there's people in this room this morning, you are, you are earnestly seeking who is God. Who, who is him? I tell you, God loves you so much, he'll come and give you a gift of faith this morning so that you can go, oh, I see, I see, because faith is about seeing what you can't see. All right? Let me give you my definition of faith. Faith is about belief. It is an assured and unshakable confidence in the nature and character of God. That though God is unseen, 
He is eternally who he says he is and does exactly what he says he will do. Trust is the outworking of faith. Trust is the outworking of faith. Now, I had the glorious distinction of getting an unclassified grade in what used to be called GCSEs, but you now call CSEs. Or what do you call them? GCSEs. Oh, I got them in O-levels. That's right. I'm so old, I've forgotten what it was. I got an unclassified English O-level, which means I probably got less than 5% on the paper. But I do remember this one thing about grammar, that a noun is to do with a name, and typically the name of a person. So faith is a noun. And that means the focus of the noun of faith is a person. And he happens to be called Jesus. All right? Whereas trust is a verb. And a verb is what? A doing word. I remember that as well. And that's brilliant. A doing word that conveys an act that is based upon who I believe in, and his name is Jesus. So trust is like a car. It's like the ignition in a car. No, sorry, faith is like the ignition in a car, and trust is the accelerator. So if I get in my car and press the button these days, not turn it, turn the switch, but I press the button, there is a spark that happens. And the engine turns. But nothing happens going forward unless I put my foot on the accelerator. And that's the distinction between the two. So when we read that I trust in your unfailing love, we have some doing words that come after that. My heart rejoices. Oh, that's a, that's a doing word, isn't it? I will sing is another I will. It's a doing word. I will sing. So when we think of trust conveying some action, here it's to do with the heart. Because we're, we're talking about the castle of our heart. How do I trust with my heart? Actually, I take some action in my heart. So in the midst of difficulty, I make a declaration like, like, um, like David. I declare the unfailing love of God over my life. I declare and rejoice in his salvation. And I declare in his, that he is good and he's good all the time. And if my circumstances are good, it doesn't alter who he is. His Character, his nature, he's not altered by my circumstance. But it doesn't make him cold. It makes his compassion and heart come towards me. I declare his goodness. But you know, the key thing is, how, how do we grow in trust? You see, I can pray for you to have a gift of faith. I'm happy to lay hands on people 
for the gift of faith. The Bible gives me permission to do that. So it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. But I can't lay hands on you for the gift of trust. There is no gift of the Holy Spirit called trust. So how do I grow in trust? Here's my friend Eric. Hi, Eric. Eric knows me a bit, and I know Eric a bit. But let's assume that I don't know Eric at all. And I'm a bit of a canny salesman. I come to knock on his door. Hi, Eric, I've got this brilliant scheme. Give me £10,000, and I'll turn it into 100000 for you. And there it goes. He's a wise man. We're not so sure. And I say, trust me. <laughs> now, now, if he wrote a cheque for 10 grand, what would you think of Eric? Mad. Yeah, good. Foolish. You see, in human relationships, I can't, I could ask you, trust me, love. <laughs> Charmony, just trust me. No, we, we grow in trust through relationship. We, we grow in trust through proving that we are trustworthy, don't we? So if I say to Eric, hey, Eric, love to meet up with you, City of Playing United. Would you come to the Alexander on Monday night for a beer and a pie and we can cheer City on to a 4-1 victory over United? And he turns up at 8 o'clock and I'm there. It's good. And in the conversation that night, he says, I've got this dreadful decorating job I've got to do, Mark. And I could say to him, Eric, I've renovated five houses. I'd love to come and help you decorate. I know what I'm doing. Oh, he said, could you come 8.30 on Saturday? 8.30, ding dong. I come, give him four hours of my time. We decorate, we have a laugh. And he thinks, all right, it's good. Six weeks later, he's got a plumbing problem. And his dear wife says to him, why don't you call Mark? I've built trust with Eric. So he calls me and says, hey, Mark, would you come round? I've got a plumbing problem. I'll be there tomorrow. Fine. And I turn up. That's how trust is built. Trust is built by proving. And that's how we build trust in God. And I want to tell you, like that book came to me, just as the headwinds were coming and it helped me, it's time to build trust now in your life. You see, David, when he said, but I trust, was doing so from a place of history with God. And God wants you and I to have history with him. I don't know if you remember the story. David uh, finds himself uh, in going to a, a battle line where the Philistines were. And there was a guy called Goliath who was taunting Israel. And he goes to see his brothers. And David's spirit in him is stirred up. And he says, I can deal with this guy. Eventually he gets to see the king. And in 1 Samuel, we, find, we have this story. Saul has tried to give David his armor and it didn't fit. And David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on this man. Let me go. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to sort him out. And, and Saul says, you're only a boy. You're not, you're not an army man. And this is what David says. But Saul, your servant, 
has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both bear and lion. Uh, and the, this uncircumcised Philistine will be one like them because he's defiled the armies of God. Here we go. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. We need to build history with God. It was the history that over the years David had built with God and proved God to be faithful, proved God to be unfailing in his love. Just to say, that's an extraordinary thing for David to say. Because some of us have grown up with parents, or perhaps without parents, that have modelled something other than unfailing love and unconditional love to us. Do you know David suffered rejection all through his life? He was rejected by his father. Hebrew, um, Hebraic uh, um, mythology, would you say? Yeah, Hebrew says that David was born illegitimately. That could be why he wasn't brought in to the audience with Samuel. He was rejected by his father, clearly despised and rejected by his father. Then he was rejected by the king. And then his own men that he gathered around him wanted to stone and kill him. So by the time he writes this, this guy could have been quite bitter, but he knew, no, the unfailing love of God trumps, trumps those kind of things. I don't know why I went there. That wasn't where I was going. Oh, we're talking about building history, aren't we, with God? That's, that's one of the two. So, so the question is, how do we build history with God? I, I was so blessed that my mum and dad put me with men and women who taught me how to build history with God. And in a few minutes, I just want to very quickly say, listen, one of the ways you build history with God is to bring Jesus into every aspect of every day of your life. One of the, because of my lack of English uh, in the days when we had to write, you know, some of you don't know that, but when I first went to work, we didn't have computers. We had to actually use a pen, uh, and that was hilarious. Um, I used to have to pray when I went to work, God, would you quicken my mind and my hand? Would you do something? I had equipment that used to break, and I didn't have the ability to fix it, and I'd just lay hands on it and say, Jesus, would you do that? I'd come in the next morning and find that it would work. Just, I was building history with God. So I would say, you want to build history with God? Bring him into everything to do with your life. Another way, a very good way of building history with God is through finance. I was taught how to give. Very simple. Let me tell you how to give. You go to Jesus and say, dear Jesus, how much would you have me give? And he gives you a figure because he talks. He gives you a figure. And then you give and you see what God does. I learned that when I was 14 years old. Nearly 50 years ago, I, I learned to ask God. I got a figure. It was for a missionary offering. There was four months to get your pledge met. I wrote to them about two days before the four months. I'm very sorry. I haven't got the money to give. 
on the end of the fourth month, I got the money to give. And it was about uh, a one week's working man's wage at that time as a 14-year-old. <laughs> I learned. God showed me. And the other area I, I, I proved God was in praying for the sick. I saw people pray for the sick. They laid hands on them. They prayed over them. Jesus, in your name, heal Lucy. And they were healed. Oh, and so I started to do it. I built history with God. Because when the tough stuff comes, you need to be able to look back and say, oh God, you've been so good for me. What did that last line of that psalm say? Shouldn't have shut my Bible, should I? What, what, what's it say? Psalm 30 says, for he has been good to me. For he has been good to me. But this is a very quick but important run through something that's really, really important for our lives. Particularly in tough stuff. We've just been through a tough season, haven't we, with COVID. Some of you have struggled and suffered in that season. Looks like, guys, we're in another extraordinarily tough season. We, are, we were weakened coming out of COVID now, other things. And I'm not speaking doom and gloom. Can I say, when Jesus said, you will have trouble in this world, he wasn't giving you a foreboding spirit. All he was doing was saying, there's tough stuff around, but look to me. All right? This isn't about being scared about what tomorrow brings, because Jesus said, do not give a thought about tomorrow, for your heavenly Father knows what you need. I just want to say that, but we need to be building history with God so that we can stand, that our trust on that rock, that rock is the rock of trust, that the waves can crash against and we will not be moved. Just want to finish with something Father dropped into my heart in the night. I hadn't uh, realised this. I don't know if you've heard of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He was a very sad man because of what was happening in Israel. But he wrote a book called the Book of Lamentations. And in Lamentations 3, we find something extraordinarily similar to what David has done. I just feel it's important to read this. Perhaps over us as a response. Perhaps you might want to just shut your eyes and let me read this over you. Lamentations 3, verse 19 to 24. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the, great, the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great 
is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait on him. Let me just go to the last slide, Sam, please. Let's just look at this just briefly. This is what choosing to trust looks like. So faith says, I believe. Faith says, I believe God's love is unfailing. Faith believes that God is always good. Faith believes God will save me. My circumstance are telling me something different, but I believe. Therefore, trust says, I will. I will rejoice in God's salvation. I will declare his goodness. Trust says, I will seek God's presence and God's perspective. So important in trial and trouble. Say, God, what would you say to me? Trust says, I will take every thought captive to Christ. Very simply, that says, I'm believing that this is a dreadful situation and the enemy is saying, you don't love me, Jesus. What is the truth? Let's bring that. Oh, you died on the cross for me. You love me. No, you love me. Trust says, I will forgive. I will forgive. I choose to forgive. Trust says I move forward in his promises. Trust says I invite God into my everyday, whatever the pain, whatever the difficulty, whatever the darkness, I invite you in. And then there's this fruit of trusting my language changes. What I say over myself, even in my head, has a profound effect on how I live my life. If I'm speaking untruth over my life, I will live falsely. It will not bless me. I will move from helplessness and despair to peaceful hope. That's what, the, that's what Jeremiah has just said in here. I, I, therefore, I have hope. Therefore, I have hope. I call this to mind, and therefore, I have hope. I am less dominated and controlled by the circumstances. Lifts me out of self-pity. I have a renewed sense of purpose. In the times of trouble, you can be extraordinarily fruitful. That's my experience. When, the, when things were so dark, so dark, I became fruitful in the darkness. It's like a mushroom. In the darkness, it all multiplies. And there's less fear and anxiety. There is a growing joy in God. Seems completely perverse, but in the time of trouble, there is a growing joy in God when I put my trust in him. And I'm not paralyzed by the situation. Very interesting, over Ben this morning, that lovely verse, when you turn to the left and the right, you hear this small voice. Do you know that the valley of the shadows or the valley of the shadows of death, is not a dwelling place. David didn't say, when I live in the valley of the shadows. He said, when I go through the valley of the shadows of death. It's a transition point. But in there, God is with us. I don't know 
all of you. I don't know your circumstances. But I want to encourage you this morning to trust in God. And and if you don't have a history with God, I, I want to urge on you, start to build history. In those three areas that I, I suggested, invite him into every part of your day. Ask him, how much should I give? Start to lay hands on the sick and pray for them. Three ways that you can build history with God. And it is possible this morning that you are here and you've been inquiring, is God real? Is, is he real? You know, there's a gift of faith for you this morning if you ask him. You know, one of the prayers you can pray if you don't believe God is real, it's a dangerous prayer, but you can say, God, I'm not, I don't believe you're real, but if you are, would you make yourself known to me? And be surprised what God will do. He answers that prayer. He answers that prayer. Because you don't have to walk alone through troubles and difficulties and trials. But you can walk with the one who created the heavens and the earth. The one who died but was raised again to life. That's why we're excited about Jesus. That's why we have a hope, because we've not come to live by a set of rules. We've come to live in a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. 